Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. It's rebellion, it's sabotage, it's family. Welcome to another episode of In the Can, part of the Barnburner Podcast Network, where we discuss movies, TV, and filmmaking in general. In this episode, and part of a new series, we'll be talking HBO's Succession, episode by episode. But first, let's discuss Blue Note Bourbon. It is the Barnburner's newest sponsor. Next time you want to try an adult beverage, be sure to try Blue Note Bourbon. It's artfully crafted in Memphis to honor the deep history of the Memphis Blues. It is a premium small batch bourbon. And there's only a limited number of bottles, folks, so jump into a liquor store and buy a bottle. I know the Roy family of Succession would really enjoy Blue Note Bourbon. And now, let's jump into the Shark Tank and talk Succession. What's up? The pregame is over. We need to avoid the funky chowder, boys. It's time to bury the bodies and count the cash. I'm here with Kansas City Brett and Player One and Farmer Barn. We're here to talk HBO's newest show, Succession. Ten episodes just went off air. And it's the newest big drama. It's the newest drama. It's a dark comedy. And it's the newest, most popular show of the summer. Guys, what's been going on? Glad to have you on. Let's do this. Excited, man. Looking forward to it. Um, ready to discuss what I think is the best show on television thus far in 2018, and um, thanks for having me on. That's bold, man. Best show of 2018. Yeah. You, don't, you don't like Shark Objects? No no love for Sharp Objects? Uh, you know, Sharp Objects is all right. I don't, I don't know, man. I, I can only deal with so much cutting per episode, you know? It's like... Right, yeah. It's like, make those objects more dull, right? Am I fucking right? <laughs> right. You are right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do. Brett, what's up, dude? What you doing? How's Kansas yeah, City? Oh, and it's still here. Yeah, uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. We're we're all watching it. It's uh, take swept Kansas City. Succession has swept Kansas City. Has it? Good. That's good to hear. Uh, Succession is, of course, the basic premise. It follows the Roy family, uh, Logan Roy, the patriarch, and his four children. And in the show, they control one of the biggest media and entertainment conglomerates in the world. So the series tracks their lives as they contemplate what the future will hold once their aging father retires and or steps back from the company. So the background of the show, Jesse Armstrong, showrunner, British comedy writer, best known for Peep Show. And I've heard of his other political satire. Think of it, it's kind of like the British Veep. So he's funny, black comedy, really witty, sharp dialogue, and it bleeds completely into succession. But succession is an entirely American show. It's a United States characters. A lot of the actors, however, are British. So let's get into the casting characters because this is a show and, and something we talked about before. This is a show, man, a bunch of... I don't want to say nobody. It's a bunch of people that we haven't seen in a while. Else. It's a bunch of people that you recognize. Oh, I know that guy, but you can't exactly place the last time you saw him. I know leading off of Logan Roy, Brian Cox, the guy, the founder of media entertainment conglomerate. And Brian Cox is a guy that we discussed before. We have no idea what the hell he's in, but we have seen him in multiple things. And y'all remember what he's in? We've had a couple of days to, to try to remember what he's in. I keep saying X-Men too, just like kind of my thing, but Maybe the first Bourne movie. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I, I've already forgotten about that. Emil <laughs> flashbacks in like the third Bourne movie too. He's all over the Bourne series. He is, yeah, because they yeah they're all over the timeline in the Bourne movie. So they paid Brian Cox to come in for a day and sit in front of a green screen and be like, "Oh, Jason, be an asshole." <laughs> uh, so Brian Cox and then his his four kids. Uh, most importantly, sort of the main character of the show is the second son of Logan Roy, Kendall Roy. 
played by Jeremy Strong of, um, you know, a bunch of different things, but he's in the big short, most notably probably. And, uh, and he's, he's an American actor actually, but he's got his siblings and a bunch of people that, that we'll talk about kind of as they come up. But was there anyone notable that uh, you want to talk about in the cast of characters? I have a sneaky suspicion that someone's going to want to talk about Greg. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'll just go ahead and uh, firmly grab the mic and wrestle <laughs> the mic away from the two of you. Um, because if I'm A, Greg is my guy. Greg is my freaking guy. I really am pushing hard for HBO to start putting out some Greg merchandise or else I'm going to probably get my ass sued for copyright and or trademark infringement and just mass produce my own Greg merchandise. Um, Greg is, man, where to even start with Greg? Hilarious character, such a great change of pace to the show, played by Nicholas Braun, similar to what Chief said, man. I mean, literally, I don't know if I've seen him any... Well, I take that back. I actually saw him in like a rom-com probably like a year or two ago with my wife, and one of the first times he came up on screen, I was like, I know that guy. Um... And it was, I had to look it up, How to Be Single. Um, Dakota Johnson was in it. Oh, wow. Uh, Amy was, but yeah, man, he, uh, man. I, I thought he, maybe you were talking about the other rom-com that he was in, Perks of Being a Wallflower. <laughs> he seems to be just a rom-com king, I guess. He was in, he was in Perks of Being a Wallflower. Where did he play? Uh, ponytail, I don't know, Greg. I don't know, just call him <laughs> yeah, Ponytail Greg. Guy. He's always like some group. Ponytail you mean Derek. You mean he was Ponytail or? Derek. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he goes yeah. by Craig, too. But, but he also goes by Craig. <laughs> He's also, like, 12 feet tall, I'm pretty sure. Like, put this guy in the post. Like, this guy should be, is better than Dwight Howard right now, I guarantee you. He's, He's super secure. tall. He's secure in the uh, the creepy tall actors category right up there with Gabe from The Office. Yes, yeah. Uh, Silicon Valley. Who else, who else do we have in the creepy tall character category? Creepy tall character. Uh, in, in fact, the guy that plays his grandfather in, in this show is kind of that way, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's he's got the creepy tall elbows. Like you could just see his hands coming out of the just the darkness and just some Slenderman shit. Very Slenderman, yes, yes. He wouldn't actually play Slenderman in the new Slenderman, no, he but maybe he does. I don't know. No one could hold me accountable, dude. This is the Indicam podcast, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Greg's the man. Greg's funny. He's he's kind of a change of pace for the show, just as Farmer Barn said. And Greg the Egg is your boy. You're gonna ride with them. You're gonna die with them. Oh, hands down. And uh, we should also, in conjunction with Cousin Greg, mention Matthew McFadden, who plays Tom Wamsgams. What a last name, by the way. That is a mouthful. That yeah. is a mouthful. Say, say Wamsgams five times as fast as you can, and I guarantee you, you're probably going to have a brain aneurysm. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Brain hemorrhage, you mean? Does anyone say brain hemorrhage? <laughs> Oh, man. Chit-chat doesn't give you a brain hemorrhage, Farmer Barn. <laughs> but, man, he is so good at the way that him and uh, Cousin Greg play off each other, just their rapport with one another, um, the, the dynamics between the two characters. It makes me laugh. I like it, and uh, we're going to probably get into that as the season goes along as, as their relationship evolves. But really had to bring up Greg and Tom Um not just for the sake of how much I'm a fan of theirs, but also because I propose we add a segment that begins like this. Greg and Tom, Greg and Tom, doing fun things like eating illegal songbirds. So, yeah. <laughs> and good. I'm glad that's back on the airway, so I'll make sure to copy that for that particular segment. They do have a great rapport, and they're bros, but they hate each other. It's incredible. 
Let's talk about uh, Kieran Colgan real quick, too. Now, the Colgan the family pit together. They are in the death pit. I don't think I'd like the death pit. Kieran <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Colgan, man. This is, so this is the second oldest Colgan brother. Of course, Macaulay Colgan of Home Alone fame, his oldest brother. Colgan family fell off the map for like 10 years. This is also the kid Fuller from Home Alone that has the Pepsi and pisses everything. You just blew it. Easy on the Pepsi, Fuller. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have this image of like Fuller growing up and becoming Roman Roy. Like it's the same guy. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Please yeah. let that happen. Jeremy Strong, or excuse me, Jesse Armstrong, if you're listening, make that happen. Oh yeah, for sure he's listening. Uh, so he plays Roman Roy, the third youngest son, the baby's boy, the the kind of the coddled son that's, you know, the this classic millennial. So I think, you know, a lot of baby boomers will look at this character if they watch the show and think like, damn it, that's exactly what's ruining society. These are the kind of people that are friendly to wait, waiters. And these, are, <laughs> these are the kind of people that tip 20%, damn it. But no, I mean, uh, he's a hilarious character. He's impulsive. There's a lot going on there, I think, in, in terms of his sexuality. And he's just a wildly funny character. And and I think, Barton, you said that originally Kieran Culkin came in to read for a different part? Yeah, that's right. I actually um, had read that uh, his people and Jesse Armstrong began talking. They had him in, but they were originally interested in him playing the part of Greg. Um, he read over the script, felt like he didn't really fit that character. Uh, so they... He really wanted to be a part of the show, but um, he basically started talking to Jesse Armstrong about whether or not he had anyone else in mind. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy to think about him playing Greg. I don't see it at all. Um, I feel as if both those actors ended up where they belong, that's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I don't like that, man. That's a, that's a casting what if that I'm not about. So it seems like they kind of fell into their natural roles. And, of course, we got to talk Sarah Snook, probably my favorite last name of all time. There's no way she's not a Dr. Seuss character. As Shaban, a.k.a. Shiv Roy, the youngest daughter and child of Logan Roy, the, the daddy's girl. And she is uh, kind of the family member who went outside the family business, did not join the conglomerate, and instead is a works in politics, is kind of a yeah, campaign manager. So She's a self-made woman. She is. She's a very strong, independent woman. Uh, so the, the show is very progressive, and it doesn't treat any of its characters accordingly to gender. In fact, the female characters in this show are often the ones pulling the strings in the biggest way. Which leads me to uh, the new wife of Logan Roy, Marsha. We didn't talk about much when we previously talked before, but the third wife of Logan Roy, is she kind of the big puppet master here? Do we think that she is going to control the destiny of everyone here? Now, I've seen the whole show. Barn has too. Uh, Brett, have you seen all 10 episodes? I'm still on, I think, four. Okay. Maybe. Uh, what do we think of Marsha? Did you say Marsha or did you say Geppetto? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> what a reference! Wait a minute. Wow. Pinocchio doesn't come up a lot, but I'm damn glad it did just then. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, she might be a puppet master. Yeah. Okay, cool. Appreciate that, Brett. Uh, Again, with the fiery hot take analysis. (laughs) Does anyone else Uh, have any characters they want to shout out? Okay, go ahead, Brett. I'm sorry, Brett. Let me cut you off. Oh, no. I was just going to say remember her in Blade Runner 2049. Anybody? No. No. Who's she play? Oh, I don't know if she's in it. I was just asking. <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, she's like the leader of the resistance after. Oh uh, shit! Yeah, after wrench. I think she's missing an eye. Yeah, she yeah. is. Oh, you know, I just watched that like a couple weeks ago. Underrated movie. Uh, she's an underrated one-eyed woman too. Yeah, she does Plays really good job. So, is there any other characters we want to discuss? We kind of want to get into the plots of the two episodes we're going to talk today. We are going to discuss episodes one and two. 
on this episode of In the Can because they kind of they kind of are quit and uh, they're kind of yin yang. You know, they they go back to back and they kind of tell one story in terms of what happens the overarching plot. For most of the episodes, we're going to talk one episode per time. So let's jump into it. Episode one is called Celebration. It's the pilot episode. I mean, you got to introduce introduce all the characters. You got to set the story in motion. It's a very difficult episode to write. And so the general plot is the Logan Roy media magnet and Waystar Roy Co. CEO shocks his family who are anxiously awaiting his imminent retirement by announcing at his 80th birthday party that he's staying on indefinitely. And it's a decision that ignites tension amongst his ambitious children, including, but not limited to, Kendall, who is the heir apparent. Kendall is the guy who looks at his father and is like, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this company over. I've been training my whole life. I've done a mountain of cocaine to get here. <laughs> and uh, I'm ready. I'm ready to sit in the board meeting. This is what I want to do. Reforming himself. It's true. When we find him in this episode, he has been in the nut house uh, three years ago, and now he's uh, finally healthy. You know, he, he's not on any drugs, and he is truly ambitious. Uh, he's probably the most like his dad of, of all the kids. That's so. going to inspire some shareholder confidence. Right? Yeah. That's, that's a tough thing. Tough thing. You, th- you think that's in his bio? Um, formerly a recovering drug addict who uh, pretty consistently hangs out with Wall Street brokers that love to do coke at 9 a.m. in the morning. Um, yeah. I don't know. Do we think that, uh, that Kendall's hung out with uh, the training day character, uh, Alonzo? Do you think he likes to get wet? <laughs> do, we, do we like he gets, gets his shit pushed in, smoke that dust? With uh, Denzel Washington, I think he might have smoked dust in his time, no doubt. Oh man, every part of me right now wants to just massive BUBU spoiler alert and just get into midway point of the season when you're talking about smoke and dust. But for the sake of uh, Kansas City Brett, I, I shall refrain. We shall indeed. Kendall's intro into this episode where he's rapping and shadow boxing, phenomenal. Back of limo, BC boys rapping in headphones. You immediately get a sense of who this guy is. What y'all think of Kendall's intro? Uh, it, it it goes on for so long, but it that basically just introduces us to those several awkward moments throughout the series that the director loves to just leave in. There's there's so many times where they just let it be awkward, and uh, it ends with them cutting the music, and you hear him rapping, and the tri- he tells the, the driver's just sitting there listening to this rich guy just rap into his headphones and pump himself up. And you got to wonder if he makes enough money for that. Yeah, man, I I would say um, just right off the bat from the very get go, we're exposed to the fact that Kendall doesn't really know who he is. You know, Um, he's super self-conscious, constantly second guessing himself. The entire mountain, if you will, that resides and rests on his shoulder, that is his father's shoes that he's expected to fill, hang over him, man. And he just... He's someone that uh, over the course of his character development, I think it will be a consistent problem in terms of him really trying to figure out what he's supposed to do, what he's supposed to say, and when he's supposed to do and say things. Jeremy Strong, too, does a really good job playing this character. I mean, how do you feel? How do you feel Farmer Barney you would act if put in his shoes? Would you be the same guy? Ooh, that's a good question, man. Um, you know, I definitely feel as if all of these characters, in terms of speaking just in generally to the the Roy children, um, are trying to follow in the footsteps of a monumental character, you know, and someone that's larger than life and that's built a legacy. And so upholding and fulfilling that legacy 
following in the wake of it is by no means an easy feat. But for Kendall, I, I would hope that I wouldn't try as hard as he tries. I mean, there's no better example than that than when he gets out of the car to start episode one and is trying to acquire a smaller media company by the name of Vulture. And, uh, and man, the dialogue he engages in with the CEO and owner of the company is just, it's outrageous. I mean, he, one, he gets straight pwned. Let's just start out by saying that. Um, and two, it's just, yeah, he, he's not sure and confident of himself in what should be, at least in his father's eyes, a fairly easy deal to complete and move on with. You know what I mean? And uh, I think he definitely, yeah, he, he's the guy who wants to be the most confident guy in the room. That's why you see him pumping himself up at the beginning. And then he totally just fails at so many key moments <laughs> as throughout the series. And it's just hard. Like, so I, Jeremy Strong is the actor. I loved him in the big short. Um, he played like a, a straight man to a lot of the other characters in the movie. And he's just pissed off about everything. Um, so I was kind of disappointed in his role in Kendall here, but it's hard to hate him just because you have to feel sorry for all the things that happened to him throughout the, the first few episodes that I've seen at least. Yeah, no doubt. So let's move into a quick discussion about Adam Kay, who is the producer of the show and directed this first episode, of course, Adam McKay is the Anchorman director and directed The Big Short as well. Started out doing the Judd Apatow thing, uh, improv comedy, worked his way over to Oscar nominations and with The Big Short. So he's kind of had a pretty impressive career trajectory for the past 10 years. But he does this thing, man, where he, he shoots films and TV, like documentary style, no matter what it is. So in this episode that he directed, it's particularly bad. It's shot documentary style. The cameras are very shaky. They're zooming in and out all the time, like it's some kind of like action movie. It's very, it is very Jason Bourne like. Shouts to Brian Cox. Uh, maybe he had something to do with this. And and it just zooms in really fast. And this to me, it's a boardroom drop. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, you need to put a camera in the corner of the boardroom, a nice wide shot of a table, and then a static camera, and give me just some, just some dialogue. Because this is the dialogue you can chew on in the show, and that's what, that's what it's about. It's not, it's not a kinetic show unless the characters need to be, but. You don't need to force kinetic energy by zooming in and out really fast. And I found it horribly distracting. I mean, the writing's incredible. The acting's incredible. But that's one thing I disliked about the first episode, too, which can be pretty off-putting. And I think everyone's kind of said that, too. I think it's been a common trend. What did y'all think about McKay's direction and uh, in those particular elements, the documentary style? I, I like a little bit of seasickness while I'm just sitting on my couch watching a show. So it doesn't bother me. <laughs> this is Cloverfield without actual action, right? Like, you just it's like waiting for a fucking monster to come knock out. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, the almost, characters are just as me. It almost felt or reminded me of almost like Paul Greengrass's United yes. 3, you know? Um, but he, but, he did the Bourne movie. He did one of the couple of the Bourne movies. So that's, that's right. Like, yeah. Um, Greengrass, yeah, classic I mean, Greengrass. I think it is very intentional. I mean, it's... It's supposed to feel gritty. It's supposed to feel real, almost in like a documentary at times, dare I even say mockumentary style. Um, and I do want to add, too, that in addition to not just Adam McKay, we've also got his funnier die co-founder and cohort in Will Farrell as one of the executive producers, too. So pretty star-studded cast of, of people that are executively producing the show but but also people that as you've hit on you wouldn't normally 
or necessarily expect um, to be behind the show. So, um, but, but back to the cameras, I mean, it's, it's something that definitely takes some getting used to, but for me at least, by probably episode two or three, I didn't really notice it as much anymore. It tapers off too. It starts to get less and less. And that might be by just directing design, but it really, or maybe I just got used to it. I did feel like it did taper off. We got to discuss uh, our dude Greg's introduction too. He plays the uh, the lovable yet delightful cartoon dog. Is it is it Broderick? Dodrick. Dodrick. My, my B, bro, puppy. And he's at, we're going to theme park. Of course, he is in the Roy family. He is like the nephew, great nephew of Logan Roy. So he's in the, like the management program, but yet he's still a fucking cartoon dog. I don't understand that he's get out of that program, bro. That's that ain't the way you need to get. The, the best thing you're going to be doing is running like the corn dog stand. Uh, there, in it, let's just say there is no nepotism being shown to Greg when we introduced <laughs> to him. Um, I mean, I would argue, as both of you well know, with my just crazy stupid affinity for Greg that it might be the greatest introduction to a television character in the history of, of TV. Um, Cause you know, we find him sitting in a meeting and, and they're really trying to pump them up about this is our vision for Waystar parks. This is who you should aspire to be flash forward to him being surrounded by a bunch of little kids that, straight out of stepbrother start beating the shit out of him as he's dressed as this mascot dog with big floppy ears and man talk about that escalated quickly he starts projectile vomiting through the eye holes of the mascot head so um such an incredible introduction to my guy greg tough hey in the trail like 1994 trailblazer out in the parking lot smoking weed and uh one of those like little weed pack pens kits so he's, he's, he's not got his dugout yeah he, he, he's been there before he smoked a, a, a couple he smoked a doobie or two as greg would call it when he calls his mom after and and uh, is all apologetic and his story is like the most amazing story of what happened of all time and his mom's just like fuck off craig i, I know you that I know point you. we really know who greg is when he <laughs> when he first speaks to his mom and you hear him <laughs> explain the story the situation yeah, like picked up a hobo and thought he was going to get sexually assaulted, and then he, he, he secondhand smoke got high and started throwing up or something. Oh man! I mean, think about that for a second. You have this like twenty-five-year-old man that is probably still lives at home, right? Like, no way he doesn't live at home. He's literally at the first sign of adversity, calling his mother, um, <laughs> trying to talk his way out of you know what will be her imminent angst over the fact that. Once again, Greg's been fired and has no earthly idea what he's going to do next. No backup plan, no plan B or C or D. Um, Greg's my guy. So, yeah, it's uh, I think some good things to come from Greg. Yeah, Greg is low key. He's out there scheming, man. So the the episode kind of takes us through meeting all the characters and it, it cleverly sets up a birthday party for the elder Logan, the patriarch where all the characters can get together. So you can see them all in a room. And, uh, and so the episode, the theme is that Kendall's taking over. He's going to be the new CEO. Logan's retiring. He's out. And Kendall's the heir apparent. So he's kind of preparing for that throughout the episode, trying to ha- hit a big uh, home run with a, a new acquisition and uh, to, to partner with the announcement. So he's excited the whole time. This is what he's been training his entire life for. They get to the uh, party and Logan's passing around a trust document and getting all of his uh, children to sign it uh, with his inheritance and whatnot and, and wants to add his third wife. 
And what we don't know is that Logan's not retiring. Psych. He basically did the psych thing. And um, suddenly, yeah, got him and he's out. He's, he's not only out of the retirement plans, but he's back in to the company. And uh, Kendall, he doesn't tell him. He waits to spring it on him. Now, why, besides Logan being a bastard, would he do this just to, to Kendall? I would speculate, man, that one of the biggest reasons is, I think I said um, the company name earlier was Vulture. It's Valter. Um, but for me, Logan's just looking for an excuse to get cold feet and back out at the last moment on his son um, being the successor, if you will, to uh, oh. you know. and um, and man, when Kendall kind of fumbles at the goal line on on acquiring Walter, man, and and that goes kind of all to shit. Um, it's a perfect excuse for Logan to then reevaluate the situation and say, "This is a guy that's not ready. Um, I'm not about to hand over." something that I built over the course of my entire life through blood, sweat, and tears only to see him fuck it up. Also, it seems like he's not ready at the same time to, to not be doing like, what's he going to do? Go fishing. Uh, I mean, he, 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 I think he would have rather spoiler alert. He has a brain hemorrhage at the end of the first episode. I think he probably would have preferred going down that way and just thinking he was still going to be the CEO of the company. still thinking that he had days and days of work ahead of him. Um, it's like he, it's like, that's how he, it's like his blaze of glory. He, he doesn't want to be retired and then die. That's a good point. Going down and away too on a chopper, like heading back from your family estate where you used to play a game of baseball and paid off a, a relatively poor Hispanic family. And you're literally plotting your kids. You're playing, you're playing your children against each other. That is the Logan Roy death. That is dying in a haze of bullets uh, as the, any sheriff and any good neo-Norwestern would want to do so we all may aspire to one day um have a brain hemorrhage in our private chopper coming back from martha's vineyard after we've pretty much turned all of our own children against each other man yes. fired our best friend of 30 years yeah right 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 man frank that's tough tough for frank Ugh. really tough season for frank but you know we'll talk about him every now and then he'll get his due here frank we love you buddy we'll be here for you if uh, you need to discuss your potential suicidal tendencies, you know, the fact that your best friend betrayed you, the fact that you poured your entire life into a career that now left you with nothing, things like that. You know, I have to babysit a uh, neurotic 24-year-old. Uh... Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, man, you put, yeah, you know Logan purposely did that just to fuck with Frank, like made him deal with Roman, like <laughs> the, the L.A. And you know Roman's like pitching stupid-ass movie ideas like, I can't even like think of an idea that Rowan would pitch, but they'd have to like passively let him down. Like, dude, that's, you know, I don't know if we have the budget for that. And it's fucking Roman's just incredible. Every thing that comes out of his mouth is just like firebolt, hilarious quote. That might actually, you know, I'm skipping ahead here, but being my favorite quote from episode one is our introduction to Roman. And, you know, he just freaking kicks open the door as Kendall and Frank are huddling, trying to figure out what their next move is. Um, and, you know, loudly and proudly announces himself onto the stage. And in reference to what you just said about the fact that he's got rather hard feelings, to put it mildly, over the, over him and Frank having been in L.A. for a couple of years, he's like, yeah, Frank, you know, you remember we were by the pool? Uh, 
we were banana cabanaing it. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking banana cabana. Uh, he, he calls Frank old father time. Yeah. <laughs> That's gonna and, and Frank just has to sit there and take it, and you can tell he fucking hates it. Hates it. Like the whole time he's sitting there listening to it, he's like, dude. I hate this little punk ass. 80 hours of therapy. I thought I was done with this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank definitely has laid on a leather recliner and talked about Roman <laughs> once or twice in his life. There's no doubt about that. So, you know, the, the show quickly sets up this idea of privilege, man. These kids, they had everything growing up, but it doesn't matter, like, your resources. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Like, you still don't teach the right things. You know, you still end up with people like this that don't really know how to exist in a world that isn't this insanely privileged world they don't they can't drive themselves you know they get driven everywhere they can't do very very simple things that get taken care of by them, you know by like servants or whatever so it is a really inter, inter, uh, introspective look into that world and we have to think it's probably like this i mean you know none of us are from anything like this but you would know, like steve jobs kid if he had one is probably saying fuck off to all the siblings and then you know, wrestling for power uh, and shares and all that. It's, just, it's wild to think about that this exists, but it seems like this is the way it would play out. Well, and so are they, I mean, you've seen later episodes. I don't know. In the first couple of episodes, we never really, we see that Kendall is an absent father. We see that he doesn't spend a whole lot of time with his kids, whether he wants to or not. You think they're setting up like to show us that he's, he's going to be the same kind of father like maybe Logan wasn't as much of an asshole to his kids. He just wasn't there and they developed their own personalities. And now Logan 30 years later is looking back and thinking, fuck, I hate these guys <laughs> because he didn't spend any time with them. Is is that, are we seeing yeah. that relationship with Kendall's kids? I think you make a good point, uh, Kansas city in that, um, you know, yeah, to, to what chief's saying, it's, it's a very glamorous lifestyle. Um, I mean, even thinking about, you know, the way that freaking tabloids fly off the shelves and, and we as as people love to consume news about what it is celebrities doing and where they're vacationing. Um, the beauty of the show is that Jesse Armstrong pulls back the curtain, if you will, and kind of shows that with as much glamour as there is, there's also a lot of expectations and pressure and um shit where you're not a good father you're not a good husband um you're so consumed with living up to what society deems you should be um and and kendall roy the heir apparent to his father's company that everything else just falls by the wayside so i think it's a great dichotomy that he balances with of of showing people that maybe on on their face and on the surface seem despicable but at least for me as the season progresses um your heart kind of softens too because you realize man this family has so many it's like a damn onion there's so many layers to it there's a lot of complexity uh each individual character is dealing with some stuff that is really really screwed up in large part because you know they've been given everything and they've grown up in one of the wealthiest families in North America and maybe even the world. It's the classic example of the, you know, the family that's really despicable and the classic example of no character that's likable. And you have to try to latch on to people that you can maybe get behind to some degree, but it's really about watching people self-destruct. I think that's kind of the, 
the best part about the show. And people weirdly like that. It might just be the, the sadist in all of this, but I, for one, really like when that guy was throwing up out of that cartoon dog's eye holes, okay? Like, I'm going to admit it. Like, what, what does that say about me? I don't know. Maybe I'm as fucked up as Roman. But Target audience. Target audience. <laughs> yeah, but at least I can admit that, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so, you know, the, the, the ending of episode one, uh, Logan has a brain hemorrhage. After trying to turn his kids against each other, he promotes Roman to COO, fires his best friend, and tells Kendall to fuck off. He's not going to retire. Then we cut to episode two, which is titled Shit Show at the Fuck Factory. A fantastic <laughs> episode title, by the way. So Logan's incapacitation sets Wait, off. before we dig today. into that. What's up? Uh, I think in the helicopters. Actually, no, it was uh, it was at the baseball game. Remember when Roman said, pour me a double? He, he was drinking some some sort of bourbon, and I thought I caught the label. Was that was that Blue Note bourbon <laughs> they were drinking <laughs> at the baseball game? Wow, great idea. Yes, I think it was. And in fact... Now's the perfect segue time to discuss Blue Note Bourbon, the Barn Burner's newest sponsor. Blue Note Bourbon is a local Memphis bourbon. It's a small batch bourbon, and it is delicious. Be noteworthy, Memphis. Check it out. The Roy family who drinks it, and so should you. It's available in the liquor stores now. And in fact, the first batch, 500 bottles, is already sold out. Second batch is about to be in stores. So, boys, drink Blue Note. Good segue, Brad. Nice. <laughs> so, shit show at the Fuck Factory, huh? Yeah. Logan's incapacitation, so he's out, had a brain hemorrhage. So it's all a heated debate related to the children's succession in the company. They're in a hospital. This episode takes place entirely in a hospital. And it makes you realize that a hospital is a fascinating place to set a show or a movie. In fact, has there been a, a show, maybe a show, but a movie where like the entire film is set in a hospital? Or, I feel like that, that could be a, a very <laughs> interesting uh, premise. I don't really know the, the plot itself, just the setting. Because hospitals are very interesting. You know, Dude, the, I, think, I think you might have just come up with the next plot of uh, Darren Aronofsky's uh, <laughs> upcoming movie. It's called Hospital. <laughs> and this guy just like lays in bed. Like it's just like a, a static shot of a guy in bed with the beeping heart monitor and like a nurse coming in and giving him an enema every yeah. 30 minutes. <laughs> and Aronofsky's going to like say, why don't I want a fucking Oscar? No one cares about art anymore. Uh, and the, guy, the guy's going to be in a coma the entire time looking over his incapacitated body. watching going to be DiCaprio is the guy in the coma, and he wins an Oscar for it because they're like, <laughs> for, "Whoa, for drool!" What did he get <laughs> out of his out of his middle? Yeah. Okay, good. Didn't know we we're gonna rip on Aaron. I'm glad I got to. Aaron Oscar, debatably overrated, but we won't debate that here. Entire hospital episode. Greg has a set side plot. Greg's tasked with retrieving important items from the Roy apartment. Mostly to get him the fuck out of the way. He has to go get slippers. <laughs> and sniffing shit. <laughs> and sniffing shit. And he, he has to get, he doesn't know whether it's Paisley or he doesn't know the, the checkered pattern. Uh, <laughs> so many uh, good lines from Greg this episode. I know, I know. It's amazing. It was, Mom, I'm trying to strategize with you and you won't let me. <laughs> or, or come on, we got to touch on uh, the fact that, you know, he's on the phone with his mother um decrying the fact that he's down to his last twenty dollars which mind you she immediately is like greg i'm not giving you any more money <laughs> and amidst all of this going on she walks up and is like hey man you got any money i want to get some shit out of the vending machine and he's like oh uh, yeah yeah i've got a 20 and then she just grabs it and uses the whole thing and it's just like oh man greg you poor sack of shit you. oh he's poor he's, he's impoverished he's got no money no no folding money no expendable income he could very well die our man greg has no sustenance on that body too he could starve in like like 10 days he's gone or how about when uh marcia asks him to go she's like basically as you alluded to 
just wanting him to get the hell out of there and get out of everyone's hair. She, so she, you know, she turns to him, will you go get Logan's slippers? And he, he says, I would respectfully, somberly, and willingly go do that. I love what he's like. He's sitting there before and he's like, God, he was, he was such a great man, a great man. And it's like, he's never, you could, he doesn't even know it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I know, man. It was his birthday. It's so shitty when he's telling his mom. <laughs> it's like, just because it's his birthday, that's why it's shitty. I didn't bring him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that's an incredible line but he's like he's like hey remember when you uh offered me that job <laughs> does everyone remember that and everyone's like what the hell is he talking about he was trying to bang his way into a job by like forcing the memory into people like basically like harry pottering like putting a memory oblivion well i guess oblivion what brett what is it when you put a memory in someone's head uh, do you do that yeah. give me the spell mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right bro that was the silence to where you uh, cut me in saying the actual spell. <laughs> oh, I got you. I got you. Yeah. It'll be like yeah, no. Harry. It'll be Harry's Dana Radcliffe's voice, like randomly saying it. <laughs> yeah. Except there isn't really a spell where they do oh, put memories in. Okay. Well, they oblivion you. They oblivion you. And then they tell you your history or the, what happened. So. Yeah. Okay. We're also in this episode, um, given a little glimpse of, of what's to come with uh, Tom and Greg's relationship. Uh, it starts on the baseball diamond too. The very, family baseball, yeah. very true. Yeah, um, but lest we forget, you know, when Greg successfully returns with the slippers, delivers them to Marsha, and then is making his way back through the room, and um, Tom says to him, "Well, aren't you Prince Charming?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I guess you could say I am." And he's like, "So you're fucking Marsha?" <laughs> and he's and like, like, "What?" what? <laughs> What? No. Oh man. You said you have... Prince Charming though, right? Well, I mean, you said that. Well, you agree, right? Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Such a dysfunctional relationship. And here's the thing. I mean, <clears throat> through interactions like this, the showrunners are, I don't know, allowing us to come to our own conclusions. For me, this is Tom almost fraternity hazing sure. Greg into the Roy family, just as you know, Kendall and Roman did him when he first started dating Shiv. So Tom's freaking just sitting over there and licking his chops and rubbing (laughs) his hands together when sad sack cousin, Greg, the egg comes into the picture and he's just like, Oh man, I am going to wreck this guy's life. There's, there's a new squid in town. Yeah. Rocket power reference again. Good. Glad we got that back in there. Look, it's so right. Tom is literally the guy who's been waiting on another youngster to roll in and him be able to like haze the shit out of him and troll him in every single way and mind fuck him in the way that he often was. Love the part in this episode where he offers to get coffee or sandwiches or step <laughs> up and become head of the company. <laughs> and then Kittle goes, fuck off, Greg. And <laughs> just the fuck offs are incredible in this episode, especially episode two. But Jim's like, don't talk to Tom like that. And then Tom's like, no, 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 it's okay. It's fine. Like, <laughs> He's about to be CEO. Uh, he can treat me like shit. And then uh, when when Roman and Shiv have kind of a one-on-one about signing the papers, Roman's trying to get his sister to sign the trust. He's like, wouldn't it be great if dad woke up and, like, you know, you uh, we'd sign the papers? She's like, no, fuck that. I don't want to do that. And they end up in, like, a physical fight, and it's so sibling. You, man. 30-year-olds, and they're physically fighting, and shit kicks his ass. I think it's really funny. Uh, so deep cut here, Roman like slapped Shiv in the episode and she didn't know he was going to do that. So like, she like, you know, she, she pushes him and then he was like, yeah, she thought I was just going to like push her back, but I slapped the shit out of her. And like, so then the rest of that kind of played out like organically. 
I love shit like that. I love when actors do stuff like that. Yeah. Sure, at the time, it pisses everyone off, but it feels real, you know? It feels like such a bitch-ass sibling. And in true Roman fashion, he gets his ass kicked. Like, he's, he, you know, he's, he's all talk, if anything, and, uh, and he really can't close anything, so. That's, that's a great thing. I will say, at this point, I do remember the first time I saw the episode, I was wondering if they were going to go in there and it was going to turn into, and this may be weird, but a makeout scene. Like, I was waiting for some <laughs> really, really weird shit to happen. Oh, you thought incest-style shit, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, thought that some, I thought some flowers in the attic type stuff was about <laughs> to go down. Uh, yeah, that's uh, probably better than it did. Well, I don't know. You know hey, no, I'm still, glad it didn't. I'm glad it's been it renewed didn't. for season two. It's been renewed for season two, so you never know. And, and, Tom, in session. And, and then Tom walks in and he's like, oh yeah. <laughs> but he does walk in and see him fight and he looks at like, about faces right out. Like, yeah, he's he like does. dude, it's, the look on his face is so funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean it there again, and, and Thomas already hit on this earlier, uh Barn. He said that you know they do a good job of like showing you what these characters do in situations you can make your implications, but it's classic. They show, don't tell. You know, that there's no one no character that says, Oh, Roman, you sure are the young brother here. Like, you, you get to see that in his actions, you know? And, oh, Tom, you sure are the suck-up. Like, he sucks up. There's there's no reason for anyone to say that. We can all draw those conclusions. It's just good writing. It's really good writing, really clever writing. So the show is going to win a couple of Emmys. I mean, for, for acting and writing and it better. I mean, I think it would be insane not to award quite a few people in here with at least nominations, and I hope wins, because I haven't seen anything better this year. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think it's, uh, like you said, I mean, it's just a – incredible blend and combination of of great writing great acting um there's something to be said for the the showrunners directors the executive producers to give artists the creative freedom to do shit like kieran culkin does of of slapping you know his sister and and the things that come of that very organically translate incredibly well to the screen um which again makes it feels almost as if, you know, we're intimately involved in the behind the scenes of this dysfunctional family um, in a way in which we almost maybe feel as if we shouldn't be, you know? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, the, the episode's really intimate, man. They get the characters in a room and see what they do. They, they put them in a very small environment, a hospital environment, a somber environment, as cousin Greg would say, and, and see how they interact and, it is, uh, they ultimately rally, as someone said, the idea that the company will stay in the family. They, the idea is that Kendall's going to take over as acting CEO and they, they butt heads. There's a fucking like war room set up in a hospital conference room. And it got me to think about like this scenario probably happens, right? Like when there's going to be a huge change of power like this, like everything is taken away from the death itself, the potential death, and moved into this corporate reality. And all the, act- the actors and characters kind of struggle with it. But in reality, this is exactly what Kendall wants, right? He gives a throwaway line like, my mind is on my dad right now. It's like such a canned line, mm-hmm. but really like he's still in the room, you know, he's still like talking about stuff and he still finds a way to finagle his, uh, you know, his firing early in the day, really to, Oh, he probably wasn't in his right mind. And we meet other members of the team at Waystar. We meet the general counsel, Jerry, we meet other board members and other aides. And we start to see this, like these people are just as much in the family as anyone else. albeit they all hate them. But it's a it's a fascinating kind of character study. So so I think you bring up a great point, Chief, and I query the two of you, if if we may, let's run down. We'll just confine it to Shiv, Kendall, and Roman. 
Who of those three do you feel as if is genuinely inside more concerned about their father's health than they are their own career aspirations? I want to, I want to believe it's Shiv, but at the same time, through his actions and not his words, I think it's Roman sniffing his dad's sweater. <laughs> <laughs> Why wasn't his dad's underwear? Would that? Have just I don't been- know. Yeah, that seems like a more Roman move for sure. Yeah, <laughs> he's like the picture. It smells like he's like, oh man, that's super nice of you. Like Greg's like, oh, that would, I would totally want that too. And I love it. And he's like. Uh, He's like, go do it. I'm, I'm okay. I'm done with talking. Thank you. But oh, fuck off. Like, you know, he remembers, he remembers to say fuck off. It's like, you just let a conversation in, like, happily. Yeah. You think, think that he'd actually want to sniff uh, the bottoms of those slippers that Greg brought because they've <laughs> all been under Logan's feet for 30 years. <laughs> it's, it's Whoa. Used to. Yeah. Yeah. That would, that would be more apt to uh, Roman. He's down there quite yeah. often, metaphorically. What, what about you, Chief? Who, who would you say? Uh, I mean, that's, that's true. There's, there's some tender moments from all of them. They all kind of get a moment where they, you know, they, they do seem legitimately like it's their father, you know, whether he was a bastard or not. I, I got to say, Shiv, if anything, just because she really doesn't have as much of a stake. I mean, she's literally a shareholder in the company, but she doesn't want a position in the company. So she can't really vie for anything. She seems to be more encouraged by stopping her siblings from doing stuff. I don't really know what her motive is, but I found that very interesting. I, one thing I don't like about this episode is, I don't really understand why Shiv doesn't want Kendall to be CEO. Like, it, it seems like they're fine. I mean, they're perfectly, as far as the siblings go, they seem like that. What you got? She literally says, Logan didn't want you to be CEO. I think she's doing it because Logan doesn't want him to be. If so, he had left it that way, Shiv would have supported it. I think that's what she hangs her hat on, but I don't know if she believes that. Like, yeah. I, don't think she, I don't think she actually believes that herself. I, I would push back on that. Just, you know, for the sake of argument, it's like... Or is it because she doesn't want to see her older brother assume, you know, the authority position and CEO of the company? You know, is it more out of a sibling rivalry or her competitive nature of of not wanting to see him succeed? I, I don't know. I think it returns to an earlier point that we made about that's the beauty of the show. It's left open interpretation and you as the viewer kind of particularly early on in this first season, get to form your own impressions of each of these individual characters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's true. It's true. It's nuanced. I, I'm just having seen the whole show now, like I, I just, I, I, I still don't see why now having rewatched this episode now, like that part piece doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Like why she's so entrenched. Like, her thing is like, oh, let's not talk about this. This is bullshit. Dad's dying. Like, what are you doing? And and I, I feel like weirdly, Kendall in this episode is really reasonable, like like super reasonable. I thought he handles it about as well as he can in, in the midst of all these like psychos. Uh, but I mean, he 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 is like he's sympathetic about the death. He's like, look, this is bullshit that we even have to talk about this. But they literally dragged me into conference room, and we have to for this reason, and this reason, and this reason. Like, I need to do this right now. I can be temporary CEO, but like, here's why it needs to happen. And everyone just like tells him to fuck himself. I don't know why. Maybe, you know, maybe he was a shitty brother growing up. We don't know that, but maybe that'll be kind of brought out more. But it's uh, it was weird. It, the, the adversity to Kendall seems kind of weird to me, not fully explained. But I mean, you know, it might be that we learn more about that. This episode is really kind of a slower episode. It's the, the push and pull of the power. And they're all out sitting outside their, their father's like fucking hemorrhaged body in a hospital room talking about the company. It, it does a good job of every now and then they'll show a shot from within 
they go in the hospital bed looking out into the area in which they're talking about the company. It's like, hey, your father's on a you know a ventilator system in there, like you know, and you're talking about like shares and who's going to take over as a board of directors and stuff. So they do a good job of reminding you, hey, there's a life at stake here, and really, is this really that important? And uh, that they remind us of that. They have a great moments, a lot of moments one on one between the brothers and, uh, and sisters. So what's what's a bigger cliffhanger, the end of episode one or the end of episode two? Two. I go yeah, two. I would go two as well. Tell me, the, tell us the cliffhanger, Brett. Uh, we uh, we along with Kendall have a bomb dropped on us in the form of a three billion dollar private loan debt that Mister Logan, businessman, perfected Roy himself has uh, taken out on the company, uh, and it's against their stocks and. Uh, if the stocks drop too low, which is bound to happen because the CEO and founder and rock of the company is in a hospital bed, uh, they lose $3 billion on this loan that Logan took out. I don't know, was it like in the 80s or 20 years ago or something? Yeah. Like yeah. And I mean, and it's the loan is through the family holding company, too. So yeah, it's, it's like fairly fraudulent. Yeah, it's just yeah. It, the whole thing is hilarious. I mean, you have Kindle. Jerry's just like, oh, uh, here's here's the morning news. Uh, this thing happened. Oh yeah, your family's three billion dollars in debt. <laughs> Don't jump. <laughs> like, yeah, she, yeah. she takes them out to the like roof of the hospital, and like it's the morning. You know, they talked all night, and, uh, and I love I love that she's like and to, to everyone else, you're just uh, some guy with good hair, <laughs> and like he's like, we're making this very fucking difficult for me to savor this moment, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> Good shout out to uh, the actress that plays Jerry. I mean, who yeah. who's a character that is really interesting, right? I mean, she's someone that she's been there from the very get go. Even two episodes in, I think there's an argument to be made that she might be um, the confiding and and closest trusted advisor to not just Logan but also Kendall. You know what I mean? I mean, I think it's Roman that that makes. Um, you know, a reference to the fact that, well, yeah, Jerry, you know where all the bodies are buried. So this is someone that she holds a lot of power. And um, I think, you know, as the season goes on, um, not just season one, but the show beyond season one, um, there could be some pretty big things for, for her and, and to come involving her. No doubt. She's played with perfection, understated, classic general counsel of the company, Mm-hmm. Uh, are are both the yeah yeah and, and dealing with asshole guys yeah <laughs> and a lot of sexism i imagine and just is just you know like completely just unfazed with the most ridiculous shit is said to her like a, the son of her boss says to her i like to lube up and fuck and she just go like looks at it like like she's probably heard that a million times she's like dude get out of my face and like that's after you like like forgets that her husband died. <laughs> I, love, I love that exchange so much. Like he's like, you know, she's like, yeah, you know, Baird was Shiv's godfather, and he's like, how is old Baird Roman is? And she's like, he died. And he's like, oh man, well, yeah, is- yeah, yeah. I, I remember. I think I was at that funeral. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> well, yeah, uh, but uh, you know, how is he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the beauty of it and what makes it so good is that, again, Jerry, she doesn't skip a beat. It's like, you know, rather than her being like, you know, you fucking asshole, my husband died and you don't even remember the fact that he died. She's just like she has this great quip about he's like, I'm not very good at, you know, this this corporate flirting. 
And as the dialogue between the two of them goes on, she's, she's like, oh, I think you're better at it than you think, you know? I mean, she's just... Yeah, she's, she's really dry. Yeah. As, as Roman says, she is a stone-cold killer bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and don't take this the wrong way, Jerry. Don't take this the wrong way. But he says something just, like, incredibly ridiculous. <laughs> you are a stone-cold killer bitch. <laughs> I always love one, like, little... Here's another little character element that Kieran Colgan brings to uh, Roman. Throughout this episode, I noticed episode two, he like tries to sit down a lot to like be more like, I don't know, like easygoing when he's talking, like less aggressive. He's like a short dude, but he like sits down and, and he always falls. Like, you know, he can't get comfortable. So like, he'll like sit and try to be like, oh, bro, let's talk about this. But then like for Jerry, he sits down on the edge of the couch, then falls down like onto the cushion and just looks even more like a freaking idiot. So uh, it's just classic Roman. It's like a kindergartner, right? That's yeah. like got ADHD and can't stay, you know, sitting put in his desk. Right. You know, he can't keep his like hands crossed on his lap. He's got to be up and moving around. And so when he's forced into situations where there's some uncomfortability, he, he it's like, what do I do with my hands? Just think, just wants to take his shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> shouts to, uh, shouts to Jerry though. I, I think she's a great character. She continues to get better. The only thing that I think is slightly unrealistic is that she is as cool of a customer as she is. I'm like, she's got to be popping Vive Ants or something oh, crazy, no like no yeah. other. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. She seems as calm as a Hindu cow, as they say, you know, and uh, just chilling there. But really inside, she's got to be. But she's dealt with a fucking lifetime. Maybe she enjoys it. Maybe you have to, to be a general counsel. You have to. I mean, you have to be a glutton for punishment. And she's had a lifetime of dealing with these assholes. So this minor misstep in the way is. Just another day in the office for Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, if we want to talk any more about episode two, we can. Everyone jump into categories. 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 Let's do it. Woo! Categories. we got a bunch of new categories for the show, Succession. But let's start out with the usual one of In the Can podcast, part of the Barnburner Podcast Network. And that is who gets the most buckets in this episode, which is our category for best acted. Of course, we're talking episodes one and two. I Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with my pick that we discussed before, and that is Logan Roy. Brian Cox in the first episode does a great job of drawing him in, letting know who he is, and he has a power play move later in the episode and decimates Kendall's heart in a really great scene. And uh, he, he does a really good job of playing curmudgeon, the old man, guy that seems really over everything, doesn't necessarily care about his birthday party, and then also a freaking shark in the boardroom. He's excellent. And for us to care about everything else, we have to care about who's at the top of the pyramid, and that's Logan Roy. Otherwise, the show falls apart. Yeah, it's a solid pick. Uh, for me in episode one, I'm going to split up. So I actually, I'm going to start with episode two, episode two. I'm going to give it to Rome. Um, he, he, I, he shows so many different sides in the second episode. I think like he obviously always has his Rome is here to fuck shit up and add an element of chaos to it, but he's also showing like his soft side. And he's also showing his ability to strategize, which I don't feel like we see a whole lot of in some other episodes. Like, he's definitely there to fuck shit up. And there's a point later in the season where like Logan reminds him, Hey, you have a job to do. And he's like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll see what the numbers are and stuff like that. But um, in this episode, I feel like he's actually doing some strategy um, and kind of showing that other side. Um, first episode. Hmm. I don't know if it's one person. I think it might be Greg and Tom, Greg and Tom, <laughs> showing us the beginnings of the relationship for Greg and Tom. Man, for me, I got to say, um, I, I would probably say, and I'm tipping my hand a little bit, um, 
I think this could be a consistent theme of of over the course of a season as we pot it. I got to go with Jeremy Strong as Kendall. I mean, he's just he's so good. Um, you know, he he so definitely manages to show massive insecurities one moment and a real vulnerability the next. Um, I think an underrated scene, even in episode two, really exemplifies that when his ex-wife shows up and he's surprised by it because um, it's like four in the morning and and just their exchange. You know, he's finally able to kind of put his guard down and not be in corporate business mode, full speed, you know, and steam ahead. And then she she has a great line, too, where she's like, man, your family is so fucked up to which he kind of nods his head to and acknowledges. Um, but he's just he's so good. And he, he just feels at all times like if this is going to make any sense, he's in control as equally as he is out of control and not really um, sure of of who he is as as Kendall, um, but man, the actor, it's just, it's a masterful, masterful performance. Yeah. I'm going to take this one chief. It's like he, uh, wants to be the, (laughs) yeah, I already stole it. What a dick move. It's like, he wants to be the pilot, but he wants to be the pilot in a simulator. He doesn't want any real consequences. He doesn't want to deal with the aftermath, but he wants to be the guy who, who lands the plane perfectly, gets all the applause mm-hmm. and everything. But if there's any real consequences, he doesn't want anything to do with it. Ooh, what a metaphor there. Wow. No, thanks. Wow. Thanks, you use that in the boardroom before? You need to bring that out, man. Dust that off and use that more often. That's good. Everyone's good in the show. I mean, the, the, that's the, the least best kept secret of all time. Everyone's really good. The acting's really good. And everyone really gets a good chance to shine. And that's why it worked because everyone's on their A game. It's like the Golden State Warriors, man. Like everyone plays a part. Everyone's really good independently, but they share the ball really well, and they each let each other shine at the moments that it matters the most. So you won't find us like talking shit about really most people. But let's talk about the six man slash one award, the character who makes the most of limited screen time in any particular episode. Kansas City, like- Brent, what you got, bro? <laughs> I like Shiv. I, I, I honestly, I like Shiv. Um, I mean, I love. It, it's an ensemble, like you said. I love so many little things about every character at some different point in the series. But I think Shiv brings a bit of a different element to it. And honestly, on that same note, so does Connor. Uh, at the point where I am in, in the series, you get a little bit of a different look at Connor um, that, that comes later. But in the first couple episodes, like he's the peacekeeper. He's cool, calm, and collected. Uh, his introduction is super creepy, and I guess maybe that's what I like about the first, the first episode, giving him the uh, six-man award, because um, he's talking about his aquifer to a 10-year-old girl <laughs> and how he owns the water. And then let's, let's also remind uh, our loyal listeners, too, he's the one that, in the second episode, when they're talking about Logan's imminent death, is like, cryogenics guys are we doing this and they're like her dad mentioned it once no connor you brought it up to him him. him. hey uh is there any uh did dad ever talk to any of you guys about cryogenics you're insane look i don't want to be given the runaround by dr fucking suny purchase medical school here we need to know who the top players are, okay? Who's the top dog in this hospital? Have you talked to Dad's neurologist? Did Kendall, he tell us who the top guys like are the here? Of the hospital. We're all trying to do our best, so just fuck off. I'm on it, okay? 
According to this, it sounds like a stroke, but it, it could be an acute subdural hematoma. Great. Get in there and operate, Dr. Google. He wants to talk to me about cryogenics. What? Wouldn't that just be typical? All the other billionaires are strolling around in new bodies, but not dead, because we were too embarrassed to actually discuss it. He didn't talk to you about cryogenics, Con. You talked to him about cryogenics because you're obsessed no. with cryogenics. I'm not really, Ken. And uh, what he didn't tell you and what I'm telling you now yes, is sir. that you are an idiot. Sticks and stones, Kenny. It is really amazing. He's so fucking annoying, though. Like, but in a way that he's supposed to be. I mean, like, that he, he comes off exactly the way. But he's just a white UN helmet, Brett. He's just a white UN helmet. He's, he's, not, he, he's just an observer. He just goes with the flow. He's like, why? He floats. Dude, I'm just glad to see that he got over the fact that uh, Ferris Bueller crashed his dad's Porsche. You know? Yeah, I, mean, I know. Like, I know. He got rich, too. This is a huge win for him. It is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, hold on. Hold on. Was Ferris Bueller actually the Roy family in the 80s? Because his dad is super ass rich. They've got that nice car. They live in the woods. Was Ferris basically Kendall? Uh, and then Connor's like half brother, but they always acted like they were friends in high school. <laughs> wow. They can't admit to, to the general public that they're actually somewhat related. Right, right. They don't look anything alike. And they don't so they're just like, hey, we're best friends. That's <laughs> <laughs> some Reddit shit right there. Uh, um, for me, man, I my sixth man, very anticlimactic. I got to go with my man Greg and Nicholas Braun. Um, there's just so many scenes that he steals in the first two episodes and will continue to steal over the course of the first season where it's there's subtlety and nuance to the way he delivers lines that like make me giggle like a fifth grade schoolgirl. I mean, it's think, think about when he's just chilling at Logan Marsh's place, stalling about getting the slippers, trying to evaluate who he's going to go with of Shiv or Roman. And I love how he even has like a miniature, like, who am I going to play? Like who, yeah, like, but man. it's like, it's completely meaningless in the big scheme. Like the, the main siblings are debating who's going to take over a billion dollar company. <laughs> and Greg's debating who's going to piss off more Shiv or Roman. Well, over like on. four manila envelopes and some Paisley slippers. So like, I would, but, but it's just as important to him as everything else is to everyone. You know, uh, like, like that's, that's his little micro world. Order of uh, like, who's in charge here? Yeah, like, like, uh, <laughs> So I would hypothesize that Greg may be awkward, but he's not dumb, you know? No, 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 not at all. He's trying to leverage and and use and evaluate who the big players are, who the decision makers are, and and so he can decide to hitch his wagon to the most appropriate person. But there's that great – all of what I'm saying is summed up so perfectly in that scene where he knocks over probably some ancient artifact bell that's from like – the era of civil war slavery <laughs> and, and the, the, you know, maid comes in and gives him this really nasty disapproving look. And he's like, Oh, I'm sorry. Did, did you think I like rung for you? You know? And it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry if my bell summoned you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so good, man. I mean, he's, he's so good. So for me, these first two episodes, you know, there's something to be said for he doesn't get the most airtime, but damn if he doesn't take advantage of it when he's on screen. He's a definition of the six man. You, man, you put him in the game and, you know, he, he plays 12 minutes. And he's got like eight eight points and four rebounds and 
just plays really good defense on the backup two guard. It's, he's just amazing. I guess. And stuck his hand out to wave at his mom in the crowd. Cause he's in the game and, and actually <laughs> put his hand in the passing lane and stole the ball. Like yeah, he was just waving at his mom, waving down. at his mom, but just stole the ball accidentally. Yeah. <laughs> By accident, steals the ball, and he's like, yeah. "Gotta do the same." And then, <laughs> yeah, that's so true, dude. He, I, I mean, it's, it's so right. I really, I gotta pick him too. He's insanely funny. Like this is just one of the funniest performances in any in any show or movie because he's so funny every time he steps on the screen. Yeah. It's like almost as artful as like Michael Scott. You know, like yes. performance Michael Scott. It's like next level funny like where he's just on playing a different game than everyone else and he has to do such a different thing but like then everyone he has to play such a different character but he really is like just just insane every single scene and doesn't let up to he just pedal the metal the whole series and it is wild it's wild to watch and hilarious and great actor man i look forward to the rest of his career like hopefully or maybe i hope he does get typecast as this kind of character he's fucking awesome doing it how about when uh, Logan introduces him to the family in episode one? And uh... oh, 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 uh, everybody, this is uh, Craig, by the way, cousin Craig. Craig, it's it's Greg. N- no. Yeah, yeah, uh, Greg. Um, people sometimes like mistakenly call me Craig too. So I'll I'll answer to both. I I, res- I respond to both. <laughs> so good man oh man yeah that, that, that is really good and that's uh, a t-shirt man he compliments the bodyguard he's like a really good bodyguard after he like <laughs> slams him up against the wall yeah. and they go in the elevator together and he's like he's really good at his job Dude, i think my favorite part is i just remember this episode two when they're uh he's like he takes the cab but he has no money and the door guy like hasn't been called by marshy yet so he like plots them against each other he's like Look, I, I I can't pay you. Like that guy owes you. So he's like, he's like someone, uh, some, someone. <laughs> he's like someone has, needs to give up fourteen dollars. <laughs> like, and, and he acts so like a Paul, like he's like Switzerland, but yeah. really like because of him, someone owes the money. Yeah, which it's like, come on, guys, fourteen dollars for a newer cab ride. I mean, look, yeah. the hospital's located like directly next to Half their block. Yeah. <laughs> right, their right. Cab ride's more than fourteen dollars. That's so true. Yeah, in the middle of the night too. Yeah, no way. No plot hole. Wow, secession. Wow, <laughs> shit, dude. What a fact check. Oh man, that's funny. I guess they probably had to make it at least. It had, probably had to be under twenty. To you know, show the point that he had twenty before, but then shipped yeah. it. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, is he the secret Sith Lord in the series? Yeah, is he Jar Jar Binks it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. At some point, he will. Uh, yeah, at some point, he will reveal that he has the power, and he will cut off Mace Windu's hand, Samuel Jackson's hand, who shows yeah, up later in the series. So. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Power play, new category. Mover and shaker moment. A lot of moving and shaking in the show. A lot of people doing cool things to each other. A lot of people jockeying, positioning themselves to move up in the world. Who do you got, Barn, for the best power play of these two episodes? I'm going to say this um, with some foresight, and this isn't even a spoiler alert. I just think uh, this speaks to a larger extent of of where I think the show beyond just season one could be going. I'm going to go with Marsha, man. I mean, I, you know, per my Geppetto reference earlier, I just think there's, there's a, there's a great exchange that she has with Shiv where Shiv and the family are 
trying to digest what the doctors told them about what officially has happened to Logan. And Shiv's like, well, you know, maybe we should move him. And Marsha puts her foot down, dude, draws a line in the sand. And she's like, no, I'm his next of kin. I'm his proxy. I have the power. And it's like, it's unsettling. It's like, holy shit. Like, who is this lady? I mean, she's completely undeterred by the fact that, you know, she may not have been on the scene as long as, as any of these children, but um, it just feels as if there's, there's a l- big plans for her in the future. And that when you have a incapacitated or at least, you know, debilitated Logan, uh, a woman like that, you never know what she could be doing or how she could be manipulating him to ultimately get what it is she wants. Yeah, good pick, too. She, she really is great in this episode, too. I've forgotten that scene happens. There's a lot of palpable tension between her and Shiv. I mean, there are two women in the family. Yeah. Uh, it's clear that Shiv is, you know, the young daughter feels the need to kind of step up and play that role. Doesn't have any particular affinity towards Marsha. just a stepmom that she doesn't give a shit about who likely they got married five years ago. You know, this like, you know, married as an adult, as she was an adult. So in no way really has any affection for her. There's just a lot of great moments between them. And I think the best scenes between them are what's unsaid. You know, the, the long pauses of looking at each other that are really well acted between those two actresses. So excellent pick, excellent pick. And a large part of the season kind of kind of starts there. And it really is setting the tone for what Marge's character could be in either this season or, you know, in the future. My pick is, it was uh, Logan in the first episode when he fucks over Kendall. Man, this episode, Kendall comes back. He literally calls Lawrence, the douchebag uh, media blog boy mogul. Of course, Lawrence wishes he worked for the barn burner, but instead he has some bullshit company. And he, um, <laughs> Walter, yeah. And he, he, Kendall calls him purposely to get him to write a shitty article like shit, shit storming the Roy family. So that way he can present it to his siblings and say, look, y'all need me to like quell this storm. Look at all this bullshit that's going on. Like we need to present a family company. We need to. So he literally manipulates everyone and gets what he wants in an hour uh, and, and, and thinks that through to perfection, which is the definition of a power play and a ploy and starts to show those elements of his dad. He, you know, he's a miniature version and he's watched his dad do it his entire life. And we start to see moments here where Kendall could be maybe just as evil. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. Uh, mine. So I'm going to go with classic power play here. No, no manipulation, no moving the chess pieces behind the scenes. Um, I'm going to go with walks up to a guy, punches him in the face. Uh, and that is when Logan, uh, tells Frank that it's time for some lighter duties at the end of the first Mm. episode. Uh, you can tell basically that even though he's, you know, taking advice from his family and he's, you know, putting Kendall in his place, literally everything is, is, they're his pieces, right? These are his toys to play with. Frank gives an impassioned speech about 30 years of business and how great it's been to work with and for Logan and everything. And at the end of the episode, Frank, uh, Logan decides, oh, maybe it's time for Rome to take over COO. So Frank, you're done. <laughs> and uh, it, it, classic power play right there. Um, it's like the definition for me. That's, yeah. such a, that's such a great call, dude. I mean, the fact that it's Frank, more so than even his own children that stands up at his 80th birthday and is like, you know, cheers to you, Logan. You're my trusted confidant. And I've, you know, we've been alongside each other for forever. And then in order for Logan to be able to get what he wants with, with Marsha and the trust, 
he, he brokers this, this deal with Roman and it's like, Frank, all right, you're out. Sorry. Um, I have no more use for you. It's just like, holy shit, how ruthless and cold can you be? Let me just play a little devil's advocate here, a little Roy advocate. And, and you know, Frank is, is older, and he, you know, is, is likely close to Logan's age, you know, in his 70s. He's made all the money in the world. Money does not matter to him. He mentions as much in this episode when uh, Kendall tries to approach him. Like, mm-hmm. is it really, is it actually a smart business move? Like, I mean, not necessarily hiring Roman. Like, I think Roman has a hidden successful person in him. And I think Logan believes that too. But I don't know if it's necessarily the worst move, what he does, what he does. And I don't think Frank's totally fucked. Like, he literally has probably countless money in his pension and 401k, like unlimited money. So it's not like when we say fucked, we mean like he doesn't, he doesn't have to like wake up and work 12 hours a day every day anymore. Really, he just gets to slowly retire and yet make insane amounts of money so pull one out for our boy frank but also i think he's probably all right and i'll take it a step further barn um and that is it possible that logan knows that over you know the last however long you want to choose frank and kindle have become close and have maybe formed an alliance i mean wow yeah you definitely see that from the viewer perspective of like you know, when Kendall consults Frank on things, whether it's the deal with Walter or um, trying to bring him back into the fold in episode two, it's like they, they've established a relationship with each other that I would argue is even um, deeper than the one that Frank has had or, or had in the past with Logan. So my question would be, does Logan possibly know that or is he privy to it? And that's part of his reason for also saying Ah, uh, that's okay. I don't need you. You're in Kendall's pockets. Yeah, that's good. That's a good observation too. I mean, we hear Frank call Kendall son. He literally calls him son, like your you know your grandfather would call you. Or it, it, you know, I, I would also posit that Frank and Kendall are probably closer than Kendall and Logan. You know, I mean, obviously that Kendall and Logan are blood, and that's his birthright. But in terms of who raised him, Frank was probably the friendly kind of like uncle. Uh, and, and I think that, that that was very, very telling in the two episodes. And really, we can look back and probably assume that's the case. Like, Logan was probably out, and Frank was probably at home, kind of the home base guy. And so he was taking Kendall to baseball, to, to the Yankees games. He was taking Kendall to Knicks games. Like, oh, your dad couldn't make it, but, you know, let's go get some uh, popcorn. Let's get some uh, you know, corn dogs. Like, you, you, you've seen the rich kid. And like, he could be here. And yeah, exactly. Sorry, son. Exactly. And so, he loves you. Uh, right. Yeah. And he had, you know, he had to bring the birthday gifts to the birthday parties and yeah. show up with the new video game systems and, and play the father role. And I think you can tell that Kendall looks at him that way, both as a trusted business confidant, intelligent businessman, hired, and the dad. Hired the hooker that took Kendall's virginity, you know, <laughs> made sure that that happened in his life. As every loving father should. I mean, that's how you develop your boy's sexuality. You know, that's what they didn't do for Roman. Get your foil hats ready here. Uh, <laughs> what if Logan, because of this $3 billion debt, put Rome in the seat of power so that Rome would fuck the company up and be the scapegoat? for Kendall to say Roman did it all because Logan secretly deep down loves, loves Kendall and wants him to be successful. But he knew that he set him up with this huge debt and then regretting that decision saying, you know what? I can actually make this money back and pay it off. Then decides to come back as CEO and reinstall Frank because he wants to do it the right way. 
No, I don't think that's right. Oh, okay, yeah, no. <laughs> I was gonna say that's some like J.J. Abrams lost like time continuum type next level shit, but okay, it'll never be resolved. I don't think it could. <laughs> I don't think it's that far fetched. I mean, even later, we, yeah. we won't know. Kansas, <laughs> Kansas City. Here's the thing. I mean, he, of any of these cast of characters, Logan's the one that is the ultimate chess master. I have more faith in the fact that he is seeing five and six moves ahead mm-hmm. more than I do Kindle's ability or Shiv's ability to see one or two or Roman's ability to fucking be snorting a lot of chess. Yeah. <laughs> While he's in checkmate, um, and then still somehow winning because oh wait he's really rich and the other person sitting opposite of the table of him he's isn't. Using the so. other person's pawn as a butt plug, so he can't even play with it. <laughs> How can you win? That's such an absurd quote. Amazing, amazing. That's that's really all that the caption of this podcast is going to say. Roman was using the other person's pawn as a butt plug. Oh wow. Wow. Yeah. I think oh, Logan's the only one. I think Logan's the only one that can see the whole chess board. Everybody else That's is true. just seeing pieces. Like they're the pieces on the board. And Logan, like you said, he's the chess master farmer. Uh, but he's the only one that can even see the board. No, fuck off category, dude. Cruel move. Uh, I go I go when they make the uh the uh, Hispanic poor child again, make him bat a home run. Roman offers him a million dollars. He fails, gets tagged out of third base by our boy Tom. Great third baseman, by the way. <laughs> And regular Cunha, regular Cunha, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and uh, and then they tear up the check in front of him, and the boy is left with a watch and a non-disclosure agreement. But cruel move, and no one does anything. It's cringeworthy, and clearly these kids use people as their playthings. They've never been told otherwise. I mean, can can any of us honestly choose something other than that? If we're being completely honest with ourselves, that I, still, I, I yeah, I got one. Ooh. Let's hear it. I think the most most cruel moment in the entire series I've seen so far is when uh, Greg leaves Tom hanging on the Would You Kiss Me? Just leaves him <laughs> hanging. That was still funny again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's tearing and fucking with his lovelorn attitudes, man. Yep. That, that's not cool. He knows. Yeah. Greg knows what's up right there. Right, and he right. still does not respond. How awesome would it have been if Greg just like for the sake of Took a step forward. Oh, not just took a step forward, like licked his face. And Tom was just like, what are you doing? That'd be the power play. That'd have to be the call for the power play right there. (laughs) But man, I got to go with the rip and the checkup. I mean, it's just that scene. It's so cringeworthy. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, seeing the way Roman revels in the fact that the kid's not going to hit a homer. Um, and, And yet the showrunner's, very strategically have him come really close to getting an inside the park home run before Tom decides to turn into fucking Nolan Arenado from the Colorado Rockies. (laughs) Throw a dart to home plate. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's horrible, man. And no more so than the fact that all the rest of the characters are like visibly wincing at what it is he's doing and yet no one has the sack to speak up and say come on dude like this is wrong um i think the only way that scene could be any worse is if roman had freaking had some agent of ice show up unannounced and be like hey oh and by the way you're not only you know 
you failed in getting your million dollars, but you're all getting deported unless I can see some documentation that you're actual American citizens. Oh, <laughs> shit. Here's a quarter of a million dollars, bitch. <laughs> That's like five million pesos. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right. So a lot, a lot of fuck offs in this show. A lot of especially cool moments. Next category, reciting Roman. Best quote from our favorite young man-child and youngest Roy, one of the best characters of the show, and author of a million good quotes. I go first, man. Episode two. Let's set the tone for it. The, the Roy kids are discussing who's going to take over as CEO. They're arguing. They're, things are getting heated. Tension's getting high. And Kendall realizes quickly that the stock's going to drop if they don't go ahead and start making announcements about what's going to happen. Kendall says in probably a buzz phrase that he's used a billion times, guys, we've got to control the narrative. And, and Roman, in true form, takes what he said and shits on it and goes, oh, control the narrative? You probably yell that when you come. Uh, control the narrative. Uh, uh, uh. Just the, the, the way he plays it out, too, and, like, they do a shot on Shiv, and she's like, why is my brother talking about jizzing? Like, it's, like, clear she's, like, so uncomfortable. But control the narrative, you probably yell that when you come, is both hilarious and probably true. That is a really good dig on Campbell. Like, they really know how to, like, get at each other and yeah. make like really funny digs. And that is such a funny comment by Roman. And that's my pick. We all got, I don't know if it was his best soundbite, but it was the one that might've made me laugh the most uh, for whatever reason. And that's when, you know, they're all hung up on the fact that like, is this the best hospital when they, you know, take Logan in and are, is he being seen by the best care? And there's this great line by the doctor when they're all in the room and he's like, everyone needs to get back. I need space. And Roman says something to the effect of like, really? You're worried about the fucking feng shui of the room <laughs> over whether or not you're like being able to provide him the best care or medicine. And, it, and that just like cracked me up, dude. It's just like his, it exemplifies his quick witted nature and, Nothing is ever, you know, out of bounds for him. He's super politically incorrect. Uh, he just says what comes into his mind immediately. And man, does it produce, you know, absolutely hilarious results. He's a funny character, man. Like he, he's a funny guy. Like he, he, he's witty. He's, he, he can play off scenarios. He usually says the funniest thing often at the most inappropriate time because he does have a really dark sense of humor. I feel like he's like the one character that knows he's in a television show. Like he's the one character that like knows his humor fits the theme of the show almost. And, and just kind of plays to that. Like every now and then he'll make a comment. He'll even look to everyone's reaction to see if it gets any laughs. Cause like, it's so ridiculous. And everyone's just like, dude, fuck off Roman. And he's like, says some really funny shit. And he's like, just like a little mischievous elf in the background. I love it. What do you got, Brett? Uh, first, first introduction to him. He's uh, <laughs> hugging Shiv and they're talking and hugging Tom, but he, uh, he hugs Shiv and she goes, what is that? day rape by calvin klein and he goes you wish and turns around and walks away <laughs> and then like she goes you wish <laughs> and like camera's at an awkward angle you catch shiv's face you see her look at tom you don't see his reaction but you know that it's like oh well you know he said it <laughs> like interesting uh, yeah and rome just walks away like drops the <laughs> drops the stink bomb walks away and it's like does he know what he just said and to who, or did he do it intentionally? Like he's playing his own little game right. all the time. Yeah. And I think, I think he, he purposely did that just to fuck with everyone like that. Cause he, she, he like says you wish and he pats her on the shoulder and then walks off like to leave the carnage behind him. Like, it's just, he just loves like, like creating social carnage really. I think is like 
he's like the Joker of you know of this uh, yep. this family. Yeah, I mean, is or or better yet, is he freaking Trump? Someone that like literally yeah. has no qualms or you know misgivings about saying the first thing that pops into his mind, whatever people may think. It's just he doesn't give a shit, you know. Yeah, there's no such thing as repercussions. You just deny it and move on to the next thing. Yeah. He's never had any repercussions his whole life, and clearly no one's paid attention to him because he's always trying to say stuff to be funny and get attention. So, yeah. oh man, the show is awesome. And we got so many more episodes. We got eight more episodes to talk about. Yeah. Boys, thanks for joining me today. I think we're going to skip the DiCaprio qual, uh, category and, and, uh, and close the episode out. But it's been another episode of In the Can, part of the Barnburner Podcast Network. We'll be discussing succession. In detail, episode by episode with my boys, Farmer Barn and Kansas City Brett. Check out the site, www.b-barnburner.com, for a lot of exciting articles. Barn's got a new piece up on Wake Forest football as we enter college football season and some exciting developments between players. Stuff you probably didn't know about. Barn, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, man. Um, I was really intrigued when uh, recently I got Sports Illustrated's article about Clemson's defensive line, what many are calling arguably heading into the season, the, the greatest defensive line in the history of college football. But in particular, Dexter Lawrence, a defensive tackle out of Wake Forest, North Carolina, played in high school with Stanford running back Bryce Love. And I thought to myself, holy shit. I mean, arguably the best running back in college football and maybe the best defensive tackle and what some scouts are projecting could be even the number one pick in the NFL draft. We're on the same high school team. So I basically did a deep dive into their last year together. It was the uh, football season of 2014 at tiny little Wake Forest High School, Wake Forest, North Carolina. And uh, Bryce Love was a senior. Dexter Lawrence was a junior. They'd lost in the state championship in 2013. So they were looking to avenge that loss and uh, pretty much just, chronicle the look back at at that season and and their goal of of ultimately winning the state championship so check it out i think it's pretty interesting and just the quality and caliber of those two guys alone and and the fact they played on the same team i think warranted someone writing an article about it so by gosh the barn burner was on it (laughs) that's up we covered the uh the real shit you know the present shit the deep dive shit that's what we do at the barn burner. We really act like the Roy family and we get shit done. So boys, we'll be back next week for another exciting episode of succession and uh, fuck off guys. <laughs> Thank you. Fuck off. <laughs>